Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. I want to welcome you to the Determined Truth Podcast. Uh, this series of podcasts, we're going to be studying the Gospel of Mark. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, I encourage you to do so by downloading the Podbean app on your smartphone and following the Determined Truth Podcast. Mark chapter 10 takes us now uh, further and further and deeper into the issue of discipleship by Jesus and, and uh, what it means. He's heading to, Ju- to Jerusalem. In verse uh, 10, verse 1, it says, He went up from there from the region of Judea, and he went beyond the Jordan. The crowds were gathering around him. And he, as was his custom, he began to teach them. Now the Pharisees at the beginning of this chapter are going to try to test Jesus by asking him a trick question about marriage and about divorce. And well, you know, Jesus, is it okay to divorce? Is it lawful for men to divorce his wife? Jesus' answer, let me just briefly note, uh, basically simply points out the fact that in the created order, God made male and female and told them that the two, that the male shall, the man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, and so Jesus, in, in regards to this issue of marriage, he simply says, this is what the new creation is all about. I'm bringing the new creation by quoting Genesis. He's affirming the created intent in the book of Genesis and saying that's what it's supposed to be about in, in the new covenant. Now, he doesn't address their question then. Is it permitted for a man to divorce his wife? He, he, never address, he never addresses the question. Now, according to the Gospel of Matthew, he does address the question, but we're not going to go there. Jesus simply says, look, in my in my kingdom, it's part of the new creation. And in the new creation, what God has brought together, verse 9 says, let no man separate. Now, verse 13 says, they were bringing him children to him so that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them laying his hands upon them. The, the nature of the kingdom of God now is, is children are coming to him. And children, of course, by the way, were deemed unimportant in that day. Uh, uh, one of the rabbis said that, you know, he who talks to a child is, is wasting his time. But Jesus turns around and says, wait a minute. Uh, he has compassion on the children and he associates the kingdom of God with himself and says, don't hinder them from coming to me in verse uh, thir- uh, 14. Uh, do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, when Jesus says, come to me like a little child, uh, of course, he's simply pointing out the fact that the child is one who recognizes their dependence. Thus, they're willing to, to, to accept the kingdom of God because they recognize their dependence upon someone else and their need for Jesus. Anyone, in fact, who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, will not enter it uh, at all. And he took the children into his arms. We're getting a better and better understanding what discipleship is looking like as we move forward in the Gospel of Mark. Now discipleship is defined as coming to Jesus with a childlike faith. Not childlike in terms of ignorant, but childlike in terms of one who recognizes their dependence upon others. Verse 17 then says that as he was setting on a journey, a man ran up to him and began and knelt before him and began asking him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's interesting that he's called a man. In the Gospel of Matthew, he's referred to a, a, a young man. In the Gospel of Luke, he's referred to as a ruler. Mark, he just simply says one man or, or a man, uh, leaving things typically undefined as Mark often does. The man says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, uh, why do you call me good? No one is good except uh, God alone. 
Do you know the commandments? Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. And looking up at him, Jesus felt a love for him. And he said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. But at these words he fell on his face. He went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. Now, this is a very important uh, uh, issue or, or, or point here in the gospel in the gospel stories. Again, discipleship is being defined as having these children coming to him or coming to him with a childlike faith. And now we see discipleship is being defined as following me, being with Jesus. But the man fell away, agreed, and went away grieved because he owned much property. Uh, Jesus is now commanding the Israelites to sell their land. We have to understand the biggest concept, the two big concepts in the Old Testament world were land and family. Family identified you as a child of Abraham. You, you, we're descendants of Abraham. And land, of course, was the land that God had given to the people of Israel. Jesus, in chapter 3 and then beginning of 4, redefines family as my mother, my brother, and my sisters are those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. No longer, as the Gospel of Luke will say, uh, John the Baptist tells the Pharisees, don't say that we have Abraham as our father, because God could raise up from these stones children of Abraham. Family is being redefined and reoriented around Jesus. No longer is family defined as being a descendant of Abraham. It's being defined as following Jesus. But then the second element of this is land. Uh, land was essential because, of course, land provided for your financial well-being, for your stability and lifelong prosperity. You have kids and grandkids, the family part. They can provide for you when you get too old. You have land, and of course, you can provide for them, and they have something to provide uh, to, to work when you get too old. And this, this is how it worked, and Jesus is simply saying, no, I want you to sell your land. What we're going to see as the New Testament continues that in the new creation, that God's promise of blessing is going to inhabit the entirety of the earth. It's no longer going to be restricted to one family, Abraham's uh, progeny. Uh, it's going to, and no longer is going to be restricted to one, one land, the land of Israel. It's now going to be all nations, all who repent. And it's now going to be all lands. And the man went away grieved because he owned much land. Now the man had said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus answers, well, follow the commandments. And he says, well, I'm doing these things. You know, that's what I, that's what I do. I've, I've kept all these things from my youth up. Interestingly, verse 21 says, Jesus felt a love for him. And he said, look, you still lack something. Go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor. Uh, the, the, the nature of the Ten Commandments, by the way, is that you are not to defraud the poor. If we were to spend time looking deeply at the Ten Commandments themselves, we would note that they're really there to protect the poor. You know, honor the Sabbath day meant don't work your employees seven days a week. You've got to give them a day off. It was the landowners, the one who owned all the property, the possessions, etc., who, 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 who were the ones who needed to make sure that they obeyed the Sabbath rest and gave it to the poor. The poor were helpless. They had to work. If their master said work, they worked. If they couldn't afford to not work. So when you look at the Ten Commandments, we begin to realize that they were there to protect the poor. But this man, who thought he had kept all the commandments, still lacked something. And that is, go sell all you possess and give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in my kingdom, in heaven, in God's kingdom, and follow me. But the man went away grieved because he owned much property. The irony, of course, is that children who have nothing are told just a few verses earlier that the kingdom of God is theirs. But this man who has everything is told that he still lacks something. Uh, only when he sells everything and becomes vulnerable like a child will he possess everything. 
Now the story continues then by Jesus going on and saying, and the disciples saying, well, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished. They said, well, then who then can be saved? And looking up, up upon them, Jesus said, with men it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we left everything and followed you. And it was, Peter's like, hey, we did exactly what you're telling that rich man to do. We, we did it. And Jesus said, Well, true, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, but that he shall not receive a hundred times as much now in the present age and houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms along with persecutions in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Again, Peter's like, hey, we've done this. And Jesus is like, well, that's right. And guess what's going to happen? You're going to, re- you're going to be rewarded with all these things. But notice, of course, that all these things is not simply just uh, prosperity, or, and nor is it just eternal rewards, because it includes persecutions, both in the and now, in the age to come, and in the eternal life. Now Jesus goes on to say in verse 32, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking on ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were fearful and he took the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. This is again one, another occasion where Jesus begins to predict, or not begins, but Jesus predicts what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem. Remember, they, they know he's the Messiah, they know he's the Christ, but they think he's going to go to Jerusalem and become crowned the king and establish his kingdom from Jerusalem, which is kind of what he's about to do, but it's not what they think. So he says to them, Behold, we're going to go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they're going to condemn him to death. They'll deliver him to the Gentiles. They'll mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He said, What do you want me to do? And they said to him, Well, grant that we may sit in your glory, one on your right and one on your left. And Jesus said, You don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, Yeah, we're able to. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right and on my left, that's not mine to give. It's for those for whom it has been prepared. The disciples, again, they they still think Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem and become this glorious king who's going to establish this glorious kingdom where they're going to be enthroned and empowered and Rome's going to be kicked out and all their enemies are going to be thrown away from them. Even though Jesus has just simply said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be killed. I I kind of find the the way Mark has kind of put these stories together kind of ironic or, or almost comical. Jesus says to them, look, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to be delivering me to the chief priests and the scribes. They're going to condemn me to death, deliver me over the Gentiles. They're going to mock me, spit on me, scourge me, and, and kill me. And three days later, I'll rise again. And James and John said, hey, Jesus, sorry to hear about all that. You know, I'm not sure what's going on there. Maybe a little pity party is happening here. But, but hey, grant for us whatever we ask. The irony of the disciples saying, hey, Jesus, can you do us a favor? Right after Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die. There's no, hey, we really feel bad about that. Jesus, what can we do? You know, how, how do we stop this? And don't, we're not going to let this happen to you. Instead, they're like, hey, hey uh, sorry to interrupt you, Jesus, but uh, can we have a favor? Can we sit on your right and on your left? Now, what they're asking for, Mark's readers are supposed to be alert to, is to sit on the crosses on his right and on his left. You see, when Jesus was crucified, there were two thieves, one on his left and one on his right. The disciples say, Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. 
And then he says, are you able to, to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Which both of those, the cup and baptism, are metaphors for suffering. Uh, it's fate or judgment or baptism. is this being overwhelmed with disaster. And can, can, can you experience that? Like, oh, yeah, well, of course we can. And of course they will. But Jesus then replies, but look, to sit on my right and on my left, it's not mine to give. It's those for whom it has been prepared. Now, another irony, verse 41. The, ten, the other ten disciples began to feel indignant with James and John. They're angry. Oh, man, they went and asked Jesus for seats on the right and on the left first. I, I wanted to sit there. You can imagine Peter thinking, I don't even need to ask for a seat on his right or his left. I know I'm sitting there. I'm obviously going to be at the right hand of Jesus. There's just not, not a question about this. But the ten become indignant. So calling them to himself, Jesus said, verse 42, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it's not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's a summary statement of Jesus' purpose, Jesus' mission. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Jesus' answer to the disciples then is that what you're requesting is the very thing the Gentiles do. The Gentiles practice dominance and authority and power and manipulation. Those, note he says, those who seem to rule, they lord it over those in authority, but not so with you. As we go into the Gospel of Luke later on, we'll see that Jesus takes his disciples aside and says in Luke 22, Look, I'm granting to you a kingdom, I'm gonna, but you are not to rule like the nations do. This is not the way it works. The way it works in my kingdom, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. In my kingdom, if you want to come to me and inherit the kingdom, come to me with a childlike faith, uh, who recognizes their dependence upon others. They're the ones who inherit the kingdom. The rich... Sorry, the rich young ruler needs to sell his possessions and give to the poor. And then, and only then, he'll have treasures in heaven. Now, Luke, uh, Mark chapter 10 ends then with the story of the, uh, a man named Bartimaeus uh, receiving a sight. Verse 46 says, They came to Jericho. He was going out from Jericho and his disciples and a great multitude. Uh, and a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he had heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying, Take courage, arise, he's calling for you. And casting aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. Remember, coming to Jesus is the essence of discipleship in the Gospel of Mark. Verse 51, Answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained regained his sight and began following him on the road. Notice he not only receives his sight, but he becomes by by, by its essence a disciple of Jesus. He began following him on the road. Now this is the only person in the Gospel of Mark that's that's ever mentioned by name as being healed. He shouted for mercy, but the people began to rebuke him. Perhaps his shouting was a nuisance. Nonetheless, again, they're preventing people from coming to Jesus. The children were coming to him earlier in the chapter, and they prevented the children. No, 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 stay away, stay away. 
do not hinder the children from coming to me. Now Bartimaeus is crying out for Jesus. And again, they're, stop it, stop it. Be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. You're bothering the teacher. And Jesus says, let him come to me. Call him here. Your faith has made you well, he said. And the man follows Jesus on the road. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.